Hello everyone, Simon here from snapshooter.com and you're listening to the Pushing to Production podcast. On this podcast, we focus on the purely technical side of running a project, learning about how startups go from code to production. This week, I'm joined by David O'Brien from Argos Cloud Security. How are you doing, David? Hey, Simon. Very well. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, thanks. Trying to get all these podcast recordings done. (laughs) (laughs) Could you introduce yourself and explain just from a business point of view about your product before we go into the technical aspects of it? Sure. So David O'Brien, I'm the founder of Argos Cloud Security. I've been in IT for, gosh, 13 years now, 13, 14 years. Started on the Microsoft stack, became um, like, introduced to AWS and the cloud and then Microsoft Azure. And in 2019, late 2019, just in time for the pandemic, um, decided to launch a startup and that became Argos. Interesting. Okay. So you're relatively new, I guess, in that sense, you're probably like one to two years? Yeah. yeah. We're we're just over a year now. Yeah. Okay. You say we, how big is the... Yeah. Is, is it you or is it yeah. your team? The, the team is around four people. I say around mm-hmm. because one is an intern. <laughs> okay. It, it's myself, two developers, and an intern. Okay. That sounds, that sounds impressive for um, was such a, a short span, really. Do you mind sharing if you take an investment or you're bootstrapped or... Yeah, absolutely. So we went through an uh, accelerator here in Australia, SciRise, in late 2020. And uh, they invested a bit. Not very much, but other than that, we're uh, fully bootstrapped. We all me and customers. Okay. Do you mind sharing if you're profitable at the moment? Uh, or are you still in that no. building stage? Yeah. Okay, cool. So what is it that you offer to your customers? Yeah. So we're a cloud security product. And there's plenty of cloud security products around on what makes us different. We focus mostly on the SMB customers. That already makes us very different. We find cloud security issues and fully automatically investigate and fix them for our customers. Fixing, in our case, doesn't mean we create a Jira ticket, but we actually fix the issue. Mm-hmm. We fix the issue, and if you want to roll it back, we also roll back on demand. And... Yeah, that's what we do. We show you the whole kill chain very soon from how can somebody get into the environment to how can they walk through the environment based on all the misconfigurations that we find in your environment. Okay, so I imagine I could connect my AWS account, for example, and you would... Go ahead and scan that. Is exactly. that the kind of exactly yeah. kind of thing you're offering? Yeah. Okay. A, that sounds like something everybody needs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is. It is. And we see a lot of success with smaller organizations where it's the they want you want to be secure, but you don't really have a cloud security team or a cloud security person that can look at it full time. And um, that's where Argos then comes in and looks at your environment twenty four seven. We're set up in minutes. There's not really much fine-tuning that's required. You put us into your Slack channel with a one-click integration, and uh, we tell you when we find something and when we do something. Cool. This is like an interview by aggregation, because now I can ask you um, things about tech stacks and get a more sort of general view of um, what people are doing. But we'll get to that in a minute. What is your tech stack? How are you powering all of this? Yeah, so uh, we're a .NET application running on Microsoft mm-hmm. Azure, fully serverless. So we're .NET Core uh, on a Linux 
Azure Function app, basically. So serverless application. Okay. I was going to ask you who do you prefer, AWS or Azure, but I think I've probably got my answer there. Nah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, I am a Microsoft or Azure MVP. So I personally really like the Microsoft Cloud. It, mm-hmm. There's a reason why we picked Azure um, to get our application on off, off the ground and get it running. But I've, I've worked on AWS for probably the last 10 years as well. Um, as a consultant, mm-hmm. I think all clouds are pretty much equal. And I've just made probably a million enemies and friends at the same time. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a, I think all the, you know, I think that's a good, good answer to the question. <laughs> yes. We have to also remain very neutral here because we deal with all the, uh, the different cloud providers. <laughs> so when people, people ask about storage and stuff, we have to sort of carefully uh, say the pros and cons. But Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> try not to be biased. Our customers are on Microsoft, on AWS, and on Google, and we support all three, and w- we don't discriminate. <laughs> no, fair enough. I'm going to ask a question because it's top of my mind. What do you see, what, what is the most common thing you find when you're looking, <laughs> in, for example, a fresh business who connects with your system? Yeah. Is it, is it they've left ports wide open? Yes. Is it? Is it API credentials that are just absolutely like, <laughs> or completely over overprivileged? Uh, like, where do you see people most tripping up? Yeah, somebody the other day asked me, what's your prediction for 2022? And I said, it's the same as the last 10 years. People are just going to put ports open on the internet. And it's mostly RDP that we find on the internet. Um, so remote desktop protocol on a Windows VM. Okay, And that's not just on Azure, that's also on AWS and on Google. And it's just wide open. And that, that's <laughs> really what we find the most. Ports open on the internet. And then there's storage accounts that are open that shouldn't be open. And we see actually quite a lot of databases on the internet. But yeah. Oh, okay. Well, MySQL open to all remote connections. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we oh yeah of the we now have over a million resources customer resources in our database and uh, or on the management really and open remote desktop protocol is the most common detection we have okay so i presume the way you mitigate that is by putting firewall in front and limit access to a particular for example offices or you just delete them. <laughs> we, we actually delete the rule. There's no reason to have RDP open on the internet. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I don't know anything about Windows VMs or anything, or, or Windows in general. Well, so. it's actually the same on Linux. So we find a lot of SSH on the internet <laughs> as well, and we go and <laughs> delete the rule. So our remediations are all driven by customer input. We actually go and ask. So when we find this, or we asked, and that's how we build Argos, um, we asked, well, if we find this, what do you want us to do? And um, security teams go and say, well, if you find that, delete it. If you find that, do this. If we find that, do that. And with open ports, customers go and say, get rid of it. We, we don't want that. We shouldn't have that. So we do. Fair enough, yeah. I'm sure from our point of view, we connect to people's servers, so we need like SSH open. But I'm, I imagine a lot of people don't just add our whitelist <laughs> to their firewall and potentially just open it up. So yeah. my mind's going whether we should test that and say yeah. to people, oh, by the way, you've, you've, you've opened that port way too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yes. I do remember looking at logs of old servers and seeing just hundreds of thousands of <laughs> attempts to log in. <laughs> so interesting. So 
How many assets did you say you're under management? Is that how you described it? Yeah, currently around a million. Okay. So I presume you have to scan them pretty frequently to uh, make sure that things aren't changing. Yes, we, we scan pretty much, we, we say near real time. So every couple of minutes we scan um, our customers. Oh, really? That quick? Yeah. That's soon. So, you know, if I open, if I put a bad firewall rule in there, you would come and let me know within yes. minutes. Yes. That is impressive. Yeah, there's a very good reason for that. And I can get into the whole history of Argos and a different conversation, but it only takes a couple mm-hmm. of seconds for somebody to really get into an environment. And AWS, Microsoft, and Google IP blocks are constantly being scanned by good and not so good people. And um, <laughs> they constantly yes. tested, and we put a couple of honeypots out a couple of months ago. And on average, it took around around a minute, I want to say, for somebody to actually attempt a connection to a public IP. That is crazy. <laughs> oh no, I'm pretty sure we we went and did our ISO two seven zero zero one. So I'm pretty sure. As I checked everything, I'm pretty sure we're quite tight on that, but uh, I'm now a bit concerned. Um, happy <laughs> yeah. to go into why I think compliance is not security. But... I mean, this might put us in a bad light, but yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead with it. Nah, well, look, I think compliance is absolutely important because without a compliance stamp, lots of businesses wouldn't be in business anymore. But compliance is also a very point in time check and checks for lots of things that aren't necessarily directly security related. And just because you were compliant to ISO 27001 five months ago, and you didn't have any RDP or SSH open or open to open, doesn't mean you don't have it today. So compliance and security go hand in hand, but they're not necessarily the same. Well, now I'm. Uh, <laughs> you might have found yourself a new customer by the end of this, <laughs> <laughs> so I can so I can tick that box off. You know, say so, yeah, we're constantly checking these things. That's interesting. I really that's sort of blowing my mind. Really, that it takes a minute, a minute of a bad connection for someone to attempt to log in. Mm. Oh, and I imagine they're going to absolutely slam that with all the common. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and look, it's not just bad yeah. people, right? There's lots of security companies that constantly scan the internet. Sentence mm-hmm. is one of them. They scan the internet constantly. And not sure if you're aware of Shodan.io. They scan the internet all the time. Um, so it's companies like that that not aren't necessarily bad, but mm-hmm. they will also attempt to learn about an IP that's now on the internet. But there's also lots of attempts from countries that you wouldn't necessarily associate with good intent. <laughs> So how do you build, how have you built a system that can scan at the moment a million, over a million, but I imagine you're growing quite well. How do you scan that frequently, that many different assets? Yeah, Azure Functions is really good at that, at scaling out mm-hmm. on demand. And it, it's very cost efficient on that as well. And Really, we didn't really have to think too much about it. That's the, that was the really nice thing. We, unlike if we had gone with virtual machines and just put our application onto the VM, we would have had to think about it a lot more. Yes, yeah. With a serverless architecture, all we have to do is we create these events and the platform picks the event up and scales out or as much as it needs to. We have to make sure that we don't 
aren't too aggressive in scanning our customer environments because there's also API limits and throttling that could happen on customer side and we don't want to impact them by doing that. Yep. But really by using the right infrastructure and on Azure, it's Azure Functions. On AWS, we could have achieved the same thing with Lambda or on Google with Google Functions, uh, Google Cloud Functions. We really didn't have to think about it. They just scale automatically. Do you have any cost concerns with that? Because in my mind, I always think of the serverless stuff as, as great as you say for just, you know, the scale is there. But is there a tipping point where it would become more efficient to run some even base load on your own hardware? Like are costs a concern at the moment or are they um, a future concern with that? The cost is always a concern, right? But based on our forecast, it would actually look like the more customers we get, the cheaper each customer would be. At a certain point, we are probably going to move our, our front end to a different service, to a different cloud service, because it's also the APIs are still running on um, Azure Functions as well. So our front end functions are running on Azure Functions. We're probably thinking about moving it somewhere else so that the front end load would get a bit cheaper and the back end load look for now, our forecast for the next year or two, maybe um, could be a stretch, isn't looking like it's going to be costing us too much. There, okay. There's some ideas of moving it to something more, more, more stable, as in like, like a container platform like Kubernetes, for example, um, where we can properly forecast and predict the cost depending on customers, but Azure Functions at the moment is doing a really good job for us. That's good. Yeah. We uh, <laughs> we haven't gone serverless. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we uh, yeah, we're uh, we're running servers, yeah, yeah. virtual servers. But I'm, yeah, I'm really curious to try you out after this. Yeah, our application isn't even the most expensive part of um, our product. <laughs> um, it's really the database, our backend. Okay. Because we we execute around 50 million database requests a month at the moment, and mm-hmm. that's costing us quite a bit. So I, I would say okay. our database is probably 60% of our cost at the moment. Interesting. Yeah. I presume you're using a managed database for that? Yes. We're, we're using or Cos- are you running? Yes. Yeah, we're using Cosmos DB, which is a NoSQL database, so a non-relational database. Okay, is that managed by Azure or yes. is that managed by you? Yeah, so the equivalent of that on AWS would be DynamoDB. Okay, yes, I can see why. For us as well, the database cost is one of the most expensive parts of the system to get a, like a redundant and yeah. <laughs> always online and exactly. balance between different actual data centers is, yeah, it's it's pricey. So, But, but crucial, like as yeah. in, if everything else fails... It's not a good day, but if if the database <laughs> fails, it's a it's a terrible day. So thinking about terrible days, do you have any um, horror stories that have happened? Yeah, yeah. in the first two years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite segment. <laughs> a very big thing about what we do or what we want to achieve is to not bother our customers too much. Yeah, we we have customers that come from other products where they where they currently have fifty thousand high criticality alerts in those products, right? And yes, doesn't mean anything. Like nobody has 50,000 high criticality alerts and they're constantly being bombarded. And it's the whole alert fatigue topic that everybody knows about. 
So we, we want to make sure that we really only notify someone when it's really a security issue, when it's really something that is really critical and they really have to do something. That's when we want to notify them. We had a bit of a code regression in one, in one deployment, and we actually briefly closed all our customer detection. So we changed the state of each detection from open to closed, and then the next minute opened it all up again. So we opened them all and then sent every customer a single notification for each open detection. So their Slack or Teams channels were just flooded with notifications and everybody went, WTF is happening. And <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so that was a bit, that, that was very annoying because it was something that we could have caught and we didn't. Yeah. Did that, did that push a lot of people to fix some of these open issues <laughs> or, or just to ignore them again? <laughs> yeah, we, we now have the auto-remediation. So we, we kind of hope that we our customers don't have to do too much because um, they rely on us to do it. But yeah, in, in that case, they were more annoyed that we sent them so many notifications um, rather than them actually doing something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can imagine so. I think uh, people ignore the, the notifications yeah. we send, so I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine <laughs> in your case. Um, yeah, I have something, it's called Collide, and it's a Slack integration, and it messages people on the team to let them know that their computers are insecure. Like, for example, the, like, the OS is out of date and stuff. And that does get annoying after like three days yeah. where you're <laughs> busy and don't really have the time to do a, like a, a full system update yeah. and they're getting <laughs> notified every single day. But it's pretty, it's pretty useful. It found like keys and stuff on my on my machine yeah, right. that shouldn't shouldn't be there. Recovery keys in the download folder and stuff. So it's ah, handy. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely tick that off before the auditor came around. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I had to ask because of because where you are. Is there anything else that you see people doing wrong when it comes to security? Yeah, uh, not going too much into technically what they're doing wrong but i think what mm -hmm. a lot of people a, a lot of organizations treat security too much like compliance and i i, I always go on about compliance and security mm -hmm. it is if we have a product that tells us what's wrong we're fine but but then they don't do anything about it they just want the report they want to know what's wrong and then it's okay but they don't have anybody to actually do anything about it. And I think that's that's a very common theme. Um, it, that's been like that for forever. When, when I started in IT as a consultant, I've already seen that. It's never changed, and I, I don't think it's ever really going to change. Argos is trying to change that a bit by offering the remediation, easy remediation, <laughs> auto-remediation, where you can give us the permission to make changes and actually help you become more secure. So it's not just a, here's a report and we know what's wrong. So if something ever happens, then yes, we knew it was going to happen, um, but we didn't do anything. But now we can actually do something. I think go, go not too much into people don't set that tick box on a on an s3 bucket or something like that it, it's more the how how they how people treat security in general okay like the attitude towards yeah. it not the interesting yeah i think you've, you've scared me into doing it 
<laughs> to get chickly everything out of this. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, petrified of um, any security vulnerability would probably be catastrophic. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and look, especially also for us as a security product, right? Where we um, mm-hmm. we know about our customers' insecurities or security issues. Yep. I haven't dreamt about it yet, but um, before going <laughs> to bed, I do sometimes wonder: Have we done? everything we can and apparently we have um apparently we're fine and never say never and you never know but um and if somebody really wanted to get into an environment they can in some ways there's always zero days that people can use to get into an environment but i think everything we can do we did um so we're fine on that hopefully (laughs) (laughs) you you don't wake up in cold sweats in the middle of the night thinking we've got a big target on our back here (laughs) cool so obviously snapshooter is a backup product Mm. and i've been asking everybody this what do you do what is your current backup strategies around your data you said you've got quite a big database there that's quite quite the asset to to secure yeah as it is a managed database we rely on microsoft's managed backups and mm-hmm. we've already tested those twice, as in once we actually had to use it because there mm-hmm. was a bad update um, of our schema and um, we rolled back. The managed backup does run uh, periodically. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. yeah, p- periodically now. And we, we can roll back pretty much whenever we want to whatever we want. And, and that's quite nice. It's quite neat. Um, we don't really have to do much about it we can configure it in our deployment template and our infrastructure as code so we don't really have to do anything about it and that's really the only thing we actually have to back up with our database it's immutable okay and the last question i have is around your serverless stuff around deployment how do you deal with keeping i presume you have many different functions serverless things that run how do you keep all of them in sync as part of like your development cycle and test them. How do you test them in, in, in intertwined? I imagine there's quite a bit of, yeah. How do you cope yeah. with that yeah. scenario? Uh, if I put my uh, previous life consultant hat on, um, I, I would say mm-hmm. badly. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that's very fair. That's a, yes, honest. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if, I, if I put my startup founder um, tech mm-hmm. CTO, CEO hat on, I'm going to say exactly the way we need to do it. Um, we have a local test environment that we all run on and um, develop against. We we have a few tests that we run with, uh, on in our deployment pipeline, so in our build and deployment pipeline. And if those mm-hmm. tests fail, then our build and deployment fails. And yeah, look, we have over 100 uh, distinct functions um, already um, that we Okay, that's a lot to keep in sync with each other. Yeah, <laughs> we we just went through the exercise of splitting the front end from the back end. So we mm-hmm. we were I always called us a monolithic microservice with lots and lots and lots and lots of functions, um, all running in pretty much one code base. We're currently spending time on splitting that up to just make it easier to develop the application and. Um, not run into a situation where a change on the front end breaks the back end and mm-hmm. it, it takes you half a day to figure out, oh, crap, this completely <laughs> unrelated, supposedly unrelated change just broke the back end. So we can 
absolutely do better at that. But the good thing is mm -hmm. most things we catch in local development, in our local environment, and our scanner is pretty stable. If we break something, then it's usually the front end and it's not necessary. Okay. Yeah, I guess. I, I presume you've got like the fundamentals of the scanners down anyway, yeah. so there's not huge development yeah. leaps there It's in the reporting and the analyzing and the fixing. Correct. Cool. Well, do you have any other points uh, that you'd like to talk about your technical stack or anything else of interest? Look, um, I... What I sometimes see is if, if anybody really wants to go and build their own thing, don't overcomplicate it. Again, I used to be a consultant, and that's why I said looking from as a consultant onto the application, there's probably processes that we could be doing better, and we know that, yeah. but it's not important to do it that way now. <laughs> don't overcomplicate it. Um, Amazon, Microsoft, Google have all great services. doesn't really matter which one you use. Stick to pick one, stick to it, and um, start building. Um, that's what we did, and we, I believe, built a really good application on Microsoft. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on this week, David. Where could people find more about you? Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. So I spend way too much time on Twitter at, <laughs> uh, at David underscore O'Brien. Mm -hmm. You can find Argos on argos-security.io. We have a 14-day free trial, and it is a real free trial. <laughs> you don't click on the sign-up button, and somebody is going to call you soon. You actually get the trial. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All you need is an email address, and we're not going to pester you with emails every two hours. Um, no credit card required. Just sign up, and you get an unlimited free trial to test Argos for 14 days. Ah, cool. I think I'm going to do that this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so, cool. Okay, well, thanks for coming on, David, and um, see you later. Thanks, Simon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Pushing to Production podcast from Snapshooter.com. Snapshooter is a backup service for all of your online servers, databases, and applications. From the whole server snapshots at providers like DigitalOcean, AWS, and Vultra, as well as direct backups from any provider to your given storage of choice, S3, Backblaze, Google Drive, the list goes on. Check us out today. We have a limited free plan, or all plans come with a 14-day free trial with no card required. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week. Mm -hmm.